I was actually questioning if I should be a realtor. <laughs> I don't say like it's easy money, but I, I'm yeah. surrounded by all these very active real estate investors. So it's like there's far more deals than I can ever do myself. A lot of these investors will raise private money for the down payment. So these other people's yep. money in that sense. I would never dream of speaking to like my realtor or my lawyer or anyone like the way that a couple of these clients have spoken to me. And I'm just like, you know, I feel like I can't compromise like my patience and how my demeanor would be because it's like, you know, that's right. still your reputation. But there's been times you're just like, wow, like I just would never talk to someone that way. you guys welcome back to light it up podcast if you're new to the channel and you want to know everything about making money in real estate selling sales skills building your business or investing then subscribe below tap the bell for notifications so that you could be the first to know what makes our great guests so successful yep and we get calls and emails every single day from people just like you who want to learn more and we absolutely love it so whether you're in the business looking to grow or you're just curious about real estate in general give us a call shoot us a text or send us an email we're happy to help all right. Today we have a special guest with us, Serena Holmes, coming out of Pickering. That's right. Ontario. Pickering, Ontario. <laughs> you hear my pause there. Pickering. I was like, it's Toronto, right? You're like, Pickering. All right. Yeah, close enough. Yeah. Half an hour away. Tell us a little bit more about you, how you got into the business and what you're working on these days. Yeah, sure. So I had my own brand experience agency for 18 years. So we were specializing in event staffing and experiential marketing. And I just sold that last February closed on Valentine's Day. Nice. Um, I'd actually tried to sell it just before COVID. Obviously, no one knew COVID was coming, but uh, we listed, I think, two to three weeks before we went into lockdown. So good luck selling an events company during a pandemic. But mm -hmm. I was actually able to finally sell it last year so I could focus on real estate uh, full time. So I had been investing uh, since 2013. I started with a short-term rental in Florida. And then when I sold that, I didn't really know what to do. So I joined a real estate education company that teaches investors all the different concepts so i ended up buying a couple pre-construction properties at that point in time uh, one that i kept and tenanted and then one that i sold on assignment and started investing in land development syndicated mortgages and uh, private lending and ultimately my focus with that was to try to decrease my dependency on my business so i could start a family and just you know leave as much retained earnings as i could at that time and then covid happened and i didn't want to take any money out of the company so i was really able to live off of all my investment income throughout COVID and now beyond. Awesome. Pretty awesome. And why the hell would you get into real estate knowing what you know? <laughs> yeah, if you wanted to decrease yeah. your dependency on well, the... It just felt like it was, um, you know, I enrolled for my license three months after COVID started. And I think at that time, like no one knew how long the pandemic was going to last. So I just wanted to make sure I had options, yeah. um, just not knowing what that was going to look like. And, you know, now even having... Like I have a three-year-old now, so she was born just before COVID. Nice. And I feel like because my agency was so busy, like in events, like things run evenings, weekends, like we were so busy. I feel like I can control my time a little bit better and I can control the clients that I'm working with where we were such high volume. You know, I couldn't see myself doing that now, like having a, a small family. So I'm, it was yeah. it was time to move along to something new. Yeah. I think what, what inspired us to have you on the show was because of your your background as an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, having your own business. It's, it's funny. There's so many people that are in the real estate business that get their license, but they have absolutely no entrepreneurial experience. They have absolutely no sales experience. Mm -hmm. And what they don't realize is they think that they could just sort of show houses and make money. But to be successful in this business, in my opinion, you need to have to be, able, you know, you know, you need to have those entrepreneurial skills. You need to know we're all running our own business every single day. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you have to be resourceful and just, you know, try to find answers. And obviously, as a realtor, you've got to be able to market yourself. So I took a different approach to that because when I started my social media, like I had an infant at home, so I wasn't even working yet. But I thought, you know, I'll share content from others because I feel like, you know, you rise by lifting others. So by sharing their stuff, then they reshare what you've shared. And you know, I was really able to kind of grow that way even long before I was actually starting to work with clients. So um, yes. even now, like I think people are always so you know, happy and excited when you shared something for them. And it just ends up being reciprocal in a lot of different ways. Yeah, totally. All right, let's jump right into lightning round. What's the most surprising self-realization you've had recently? 
the most surprising self-realization. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was actually questioning if I should be a realtor. <laughs> I had some clients that really I question myself every day. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, am I doing the right thing? And I went to a psychic. I'm like, am I on the right track? And she's like, yes, I see a lot of money in your future. And I was like, okay, just needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, is there happiness in that too? <laughs> yeah. So that being said, like, I had another client after who's like lovely and she's so amazing. And like, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting business run. Mm-hmm. What's a skill you learned when you were young that you still use today? Mm. Honestly, it sounds really silly, but I think just being organized, like I always try to be so organized and I always think I'm not organized enough. And then people are like, oh no, you're organized. Like everything is like dated, listed in a certain way, like organized in a certain way. And, you know, I just feel like I can manage myself better that way. Yeah, that's good. Love it. All right. If you could spend a whole day with someone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Okay. So my brother died when I was six years old. So oh. I'd have to say right. him. How many years older? Or younger uh, so he was 10 years old so that's even like how my book like largely starts um mm-hmm. so the whole tagline is turning tragedy into triumph to embrace my destiny and entrepreneurship so a lot of it stems from the challenges that i had growing up like when my parents separated and my brother's accident and stuff like that but how it really kind of you know paved the path into you know surviving for myself and developing these like scrappy skills because i knew like no one's handing me anything on a silver platter so I love that. So that's the accidental, accidental entrepreneurial, which makes mm-hmm. sense. So like you're fending for yourself and now you're learning those skills of how to get just problem solving to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I love that. How scrappy are you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I've always kind of gone above and beyond for anything. Like I've had, you know, when I think back to all the brand ambassadors that worked for us, like I could have someone cancel in the middle of the night. And I just wake up and check my phone. I'll sit there and like replace a shift at two in the morning or, you know, do literally anything that you can to make sure you're delivering on your word. It's, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's your reputation, right? So I think yeah. I've always tried to, you know, just do what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. I, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about event planning, but I do feel like that <laughs> is good. Syner- it's good synergy coming into real estate. I've even it's said very that to similar. when we're trying to hire like transaction coordinators. Uh, I've, I've looked for like wedding planners mm-hmm. or like uh, event planners, just because yeah. I'm like, I've even given people the pitch in the interview. I'm like, all right, so you found the venue, you found the DJ, but then the venue cancels. Yeah. But then you what get you the do? food lined up, but they only work with a certain DJ. So now you have to work things like yeah. you got what I'm, you know? <laughs> well, the combination of troubleshooting and you're also like aligning these deadlines and suppliers and stuff like that. So I feel like when I think of what I'm doing now, it's, there's a lot of synergies to like what I was doing yeah. in my past life. So, Yeah. There's a big definition difference, I think, from getting a task done to actually getting it done, right? Like checking it off the box versus actually it's, yeah, you can move forward and doing done that. Properly. And yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's a, I never knew that that would be such an issue in uh, explaining it to people. Like, yeah, you got this done, but you didn't actually do it <laughs> the right yeah, way. Yeah. Well, I think what I've been surprised by just even in the few transactions I've had since I started is just you know, it feels like a wild, wild west with realtors. Like there are some instances where there could be a deal out and the realtor's just gone MIA. And then you finally get a hold of it. Like, yeah, they don't want to go ahead. It's like, what were you going to tell me? <laughs> like, oh, you yeah. know, just the communication has been like so you know. really horrible with some people because I'm so on point with my communication. It drives me nuts when it's not handled the same way and it's not as professional. Yeah. And even just certain things, like I, I took a buyer to a showing and I get there and the door's wide open, the key's in the door handle. So the listing or whoever took the their buyer to the show and just like left the door unlocked and open. And I was like, you know what I mean? Like, I always wonder how that happened. The, like, were they so just like blown away by the home that they just <laughs> no, ran to their car? No, they must've just forgotten. So I, like, obviously I told the listing agent so that they were aware and they could pass along that feedback, but it was yeah. just so negligent. Right. So biggest problem is that there's no barriers to entry in this business mm-hmm. and you know, everybody and and their Uber driver can get their license that, you know, you Not can, that there's nothing wrong with that, but it's anybody qualifies. I think there's a lot wrong with it, but we've <laughs> yeah. got other episodes to talk about that. But yeah. the problem is that, that, you know, especially during COVID, you could get your license in a matter of days. Two weeks on an online course. Right. Well, days would be <laughs> a stretch, but. Yeah. Well, in, in New Jersey. Well, I don't know about you weeks. guys. Like for us here, like it took me about 10. I could have done it in six months. I did it in 10. So I would do like a few weeks of studying and then I do my exam and then I took a break to edit my book. So I'd take like two, three weeks and then I'd go back into the next round. So in total, I think there was seven, so five courses and two simulations. So I did it in 10 months. I could have done it in less. 
Oh, I didn't wow. have an infant. I wasn't doing my book. <laughs> but, in New Jersey, you could do it in, in two weeks. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's definitely more lengthy here than that. But you could pro- even if you did it, you could probably do it three to four months if you really like compressed it. I think it's probably why there's some better realtors in in Canada. Canada. <laughs> but there's so many though too in, in Toronto area, like right around that. All right, cool. All right, last question here: When you die, what do you want to be remembered for? I just want to influence as many people as possible, possible positively. So. I'm just trying to, you know, even in my video, I'm like, I don't want to sell the most houses. I just want to help the most people. So I think if you can look at it, like you're, you are helping them through these milestones. And if, you know, from the investment perspective of a lot of people that reach out to me asking how I've done certain things. And if I can, you know, have that positive impact on them where they're able to increase their revenue or the number of revenue streams that they have, then yeah. I think I'd be happy to be remembered that way. Nice. So the impact that you have on people around you. Earlier, you were saying that you consulted a psychic before you got into real estate. What was making you hesitant about pursuing the industry? So I actually just saw the psychic a couple weeks ago. (laughs) So it wasn't that I was debating doing it. I mean, I had gotten her information about six months ago from someone and I just wanted to see if I was on the right track. And I didn't even ask the question. It's just things will come up. You know, the reading, I think, went on for like two and a half hours. So she was very much encouraging, like, I'm on the right track. All the things that I'm doing will pay off and just to be patient. And, you know, obviously, I think... From a realtor's perspective, I just need to pre-qualify my clients better to make sure I'm working with the right people. Um, so I think that's I've had a couple learnings in that respect. Um, and then from the investment side, I'm building relationships with various companies that are doing active projects. So ideally, if I can get a seat at the table as a GP to do some capital raising, then I think that would be really well aligned with everything else that I'm doing as well. Sweet. Now, being newer in the business and having the skill set that you have, right? That you've gotten through the different industries and different past experiences. What are some of the challenges that you see that are available in the real estate space that, uh, that you're going through right now? Yeah. I think what I found is that, you know, I can't walk in and say I've sold like a hundred houses or a thousand houses. So even though I have this robust career experience, sometimes people act as if you're coming out of high school, (laughs) like you're just brand new, like you have no experience. So I think it's a little bit odd to come in and have to prove yourself all over again, even though you have this experience, I know I can deliver, I have the support of people I can lean on if I have questions and stuff like that. And obviously there's still some learnings, like all the little nuances with the paperwork and stuff like that. But I think that's probably been the challenge I've had in some of those earlier discussions. If someone's like, well, why should I use you when I've got this other person? And I feel like, you know, with me, at least they're not just a number. Like, I feel like I'll really hold their hand. I'll walk them through it. I'll take extreme care to make sure that you know, I'm walking them through that process in a way that maybe someone that has 35 clients at a time may not be able to dedicate that kind of attention to them. And I don't necessarily want to be one of those realtors either. Like I'd be happy to take on a few clients at a time and just know that I'm delivering the best kind of quality experience that I, I can with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a total, just a mindset shift for you. And just in the short time that, that we've gotten to know each other on here, I can tell you're going to be great. And I can tell you're on, off to a great start. You're organized. You're prepared. I mean, it's, it's interesting to ha- come to it from a perspective where you have so much experience in the lending business and the investment side and, and even just like the, the, you know, owning your own business. I think, yeah, I wouldn't worry about any of those, uh, the, the competition or anything like yeah. that. <laughs> because you can always, it's, it's rare. Like when, unless you're, it's less, it's in your head. Mm-hmm. Rarely do people say like, well, how many homes have you sold this month yeah. or in the yeah. last, in the first quarter? Well, you have a good lens on it, right? Cause you're coming from a place as an advisor versus like, this is going to be a transactional transaction. I feel like it took me a while to realize this, but it's like, they'll only believe in you if it looks like you believe in what you're actually saying. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. She's so yeah. well-spoken that, you know, I believe in her already. Yeah. So it's like if, if you're going in there thinking like, you know, this is a little newer, then yes, that, that objection comes up a lot. I've called him many times. Like I've called, I've called him a couple of times saying, I just got this listing in this XYZ neighborhood. And he's like, wait, your calendar said it was this neighborhood. And I'm like, oh shit, I've been saying the neighborhood wrong. It was like, it was still got the listing. Yeah. It was like Rochelle yeah. Park. And I was saying like Ridgefield Park. And the funny thing is, is that I don't remember saying a different variation of the, the town at all when I was at the okay. table presenting to the seller. And then <laughs> there's a high likelihood chance that I was saying yeah. the wrong town in front of them. Um, yeah. But they wanted to hire somebody that was confident, that knew what they were doing, that that would yeah. get them closed. So maybe they're just like this, this, you know, just yeah, I mean, I don't lead with the fact that I'm brand new. Like if they're going to ask me details, yeah. like I'm not going to shy away from it. But yeah. at the same time, I can, you know, give a more of a well-rounded 
explanation of, I guess, my background if they do ask. In some instances, if they've been referred, they just kind of assume that I've been doing it for a long time and then off yeah. we go, right? So yeah. um, I guess it all depends. I'm not trying to like be deceitful about it, but yeah. I'm not going to be like, oh, you're my first client, you know? <laughs> so. Like, yeah, we're going to go through this together. No. Yeah, we will. Yeah. But it, it, it's it's something that like the same objections that you would have or the fears you would have is like what a, like an 18, 19 year old agent would have. Right. Yeah. Um, and when I got licensed when I was 18, my biggest fear was someone's going to ask me how old I am or how long I've been in the business. Yeah. yeah. And that was always a fear. But then after like I picked up momentum and I was doing so well and I was just so confident in that presentation, it yeah. never, ever came up ever again. Yeah. Um, and there's things I think as you learn just with age, like I'm in my early forties, so I've had homes, I've had investment properties. So there's exactly. things that you just learn from that life experience that also support you as a realtor, because if you're yeah. going into a property that has like a septic system or it needs renovations or, you know, all these different things, I think if you're walking in when you are quite young, you have the barrier in the sense that you still need to learn how to sell to people and do the transactions, but then you may not just have that life experience that comes with being a homeowner and stuff like that. Right. So yeah. I think all of that adds to it. You're absolutely right. When we're interviewing new agents. I, I love agents that have at least bought or sold their own home. Just that just being through that process, because let's, let's face it, right? What you learn in real estate school is barely going to get you off the ground. Yeah. It's more about, you know, the steps of the transaction, the process, mm-hmm. right? The fact that multiple offer scenarios happen, the fact that then you do highest and best, the fact that, you know, down payment and mortgage and all these different things. And it's, it's yeah. so people who have been through the process of either buying and selling themselves are, are far more experienced than they think. Yeah. Yeah. I was lucky because I never bought a house until I was 20 and I was in the business when I was 18. Yeah. So I was like going through the reps, going through the reps, picking up steam. And then on my first house, I was freaking out. I was just like, what do I do in this transaction? Like, how do I do this process? And I'm like, damn, like I, I would be very cold when I'm like going through the transaction. I'm like, why are you freaking out? Like, it's just normal. Yeah. But then yeah. you put yourself in those shoes too. Then you know how to balance the emotions in the transaction as totally. well. Yeah. And um, I think just trying to be proactive and let people know like what's coming and what to expect and how to prepare themselves yeah. so that it's not like, oh, I didn't know I had to have this deposit. Like I didn't, it's in my equity or like, you know, just things that they may not necessarily know, like you're laying it all out for them in advance and staying on top of them for different things too. Right. Yeah. So yeah. just not assuming that they know. Yeah. No, that's valuable. How do you think you'll deal with people's like emotions coming from the investment side of things, <laughs> right? Because your world, it's all about the numbers, right? I'm only going to buy this property if the numbers make sense. And if, yeah. you know, everything calculates to the, to the right ROI. But now yeah, you're, I just went now through you're this. in a world where people are buying their own, their first house and they're excited and it's a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. Talk so that's that. fine. I think that's easy. Um, I just went through a situation with a listing with a couple that are separating. And that was probably the most challenging thing I've dealt with so far because it's a very emotionally charged situation. And I'd say like for those realtors that specialize in divorces, are they must be a special kind of person. I don't think I'm that person. <laughs> like, yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh. So, you know, on the one side, you've got... Um, you know, the one client that wanted to talk a lot, like he was a heavy CD type of personality. So very calculating, wanted to talk about every listing that went up in their neighborhood and every media article he read like every day for an hour. And then the wife didn't want to talk. And in fact, like just refused to talk to me when offers were coming in, got to the point she was getting very agitated, swearing at me a lot. And like, just eventually we finally got to their list price and then she just shut it down and was like, nope. And I was like, so after four months of working with them, just totally just refused. We're like, no, we're not selling and we're going to deal with this in the fall. And I was like, what just happened? So, you know, I think it was, um, that was very challenging because they're dealing with this very overwhelming situation. I think they're very fearful of what life's going to look like on the other side of it and what that looks like starting over, how much the, the cost of starting over will be with interest rates and housing prices and stuff like that. So I tried to just be as patient as calm as I could, you know, but it was frustrating in the end that we, we could have gotten the deal done, but they just all of a sudden were like, nope. And there was just no kind of coming back from that at that point Both in time. Both of them or just so, her? Just her. Yeah. Uh, for various reasons. But, um, you know, she just kind of put the brakes on at the last minute after, you know, four months of kind of getting the house ready and then being on the market and stuff like that. So it was definitely a learning. And, you know, there was obviously different variables at play, but it was a, it wasn't easy. Yeah. My coach, uh, Steve Powers, actually just coached me through this just recently for that specific kind of situation. And it, it's, like, it's like a little bit of a shift when you're dealing with somebody who's highly emotionally charged, like a divorced couple or a separating couple. Yeah. And um, the way to do it is what ends up happening, and I could, I'll bet that the husband is the one that brought you in. 
Well, it was actually the wife that brought me in. Really? <laughs> yeah, wow. because they had a rule that they you wouldn't a use a realtor a 50, 50, that yeah. either of them had a friendship with. Sure. Yeah. So I was brought in as a neutral party from like a mail out that I did. And, you know, they were actually going to list initially last summer. Same thing. She kind of put the brakes on. Yeah. And then she started texting me on Christmas Eve. Like, I want to put the house on the market, like, Immediately. today. I was like, it's not yeah. happening today. <laughs> like, yeah. So then, you know, we revisited after Christmas. They did some work around the house to get it ready and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think just the whole listing process was challenging in the sense, like, just they wanted 24 hours notice for the showings, no for sale sign, no open houses. Yeah. You know, anytime a realtor is a little late, that was, like, a big source of conflict and stuff yeah, like yeah. that so we they were whatever just, we need to do to make this really difficult for you serena yeah yeah i mean it, it was what it was but like i said we the biggest challenge was their expectations on price it was a few hundred thousand ahead of the comps when we went to market but we got it to what they wanted at the end and then yeah. i think just at that point maybe they lost momentum because it was like the last day of a 60-day listing and she could have been just trying to delay the divorce. As uh, much I think as possible. that's what it is. The, but the yeah, reality yeah, is, possible. I would have made it final. Yeah, that's true. The yeah. So I basically, what I advise them on is like, you know, I think if you're going to list again, you have to make sure your separation agreement is 100% in order. And, you know, from an employment standpoint, that needs to be all settled and stuff like that too. So yeah. I think they just have a few things they need to line up before they can move forward. And you, know, you can't force someone to do something they're not ready for. But obviously, if you're going to list, you assume that they are you ready. Think. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, that's good. My, my my coach literally was like, all right, so when you're doing the presentation to the people, you need to speak to both people independently before you even go to the property. Yeah. And you need to let them know that your fiduciary duties aren't due to either party. It's due to the sale of the property solely. Yeah. And then the separation agreement is a big thing and going through like who's paying for what right now, what's happening. Like if this situation happens, it's almost like creating an operating agreement for like investors, yeah. right? And it's like, if this occurs, what happens? If this happens, what happens? If there's yeah. a dispute on... A, I like, mean, it was in progress. It just wasn't yeah. 100% finalized. But I think the challenge, again, was even just changing the rules as things went forward. I, I did meet with them separately, then together. Yep. And I said, like, let's have a WhatsApp group. And that way, there's no miscommunication. Exactly. But because the husband liked to communicate often, she was like, I can't be in this group. So then now I'm communicating with them separately. And then she had said, you know, I don't want to hear from you unless... I don't want to hear about a deal unless it's in writing. Cause you know, a lot of realtors will kind of sure. like fill the waters out first. And obviously you're legally obligated to tell your client so you can get their feedback. And she was like, I don't want to hear about it unless it's in writing. Yeah. And then when we got an offer, I, I talked to the husband. I said, I'll let her know once I have it in hand. Then he went and talked to her and then she's like, why didn't you tell me about this and came down on me? Like I'm more representing him than her. And I was like, no, like this is what you asked me to do. Yeah. So, you know, it's just hard because the, the rules kept on changing, right? So I was just yeah. trying to like roll with it, be like, okay, well, you asked me to do this and okay, yeah. now that, you know, so it just, it, it was very challenging. And I can see now why maybe in those situations, it almost makes sense to just have two realtors and one can represent each of them. Yeah, it gets even more complex. Like in Jersey, I know that like, for instance, if there's a dispute between 50-50 owners, they can force the sale. So by having, you know, uh, by presenting that, as like a situation in the beginning and saying like, Hey, I'm representing the sale of the property. That's the reason why you guys hired me. Yeah. I, you know, I don't have any fiduciary duties to either party. So we're going to go through this separation agreement and this is what we're going to follow through for the rest of this whole, um, you know, process as we go through with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had a, a guest on his name was Pace Morby a couple of weeks ago and he was yeah. talking about sub twos. So then John and I started looking up sub twos and I found an opportunity and I need to go do a separation agreement. So when I went to go sit down with them, they were fighting about who paid what for the couch. And then I was just like, in my mind, I'm like, what would an unbiased individual do? And I'm like, they would say, shut up. So I'm like, shut up. <laughs> like to both of them, I'm like, guys, do you guys want to major in minors or do you guys want to get the property sold so you can get out of debt and like yeah. get the property sold? I'm like, all right, so let's move forward. And then we're like going through every single obstacle. And I was like, when I walked away, I was like, that was a lot easier than I thought. It's because they were so high in emotion that there was zero logic in that conversation that yeah. when you leveled it up, everything yeah. just moved forward smoothly. But it's, it's also like presenting like, if the husband isn't aware that he can force the sale, then maybe the wife is just dragging it along. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that he was trying to just, you know, they've been together for since they're teenagers at this point. Right. So I yeah. think he was just still trying to be very, you know, careful and mindful and respectful of taking care of the family. And he didn't want to just like leave her high and dry. So yeah. he just didn't maybe think it was worth it at that time. So that's why I just said, like, you got to get the separation agreement in order and then you can revisit it at that time. Yeah. I think I would never touch it. Like, unless they had that stuff sorted out again. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Well, at least you walked away with a good lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> you win the or fact, you learn. The fact so that we are also part-time therapists and yeah. yeah, 
We spent oh, yeah, a lot I've of been time gardener. I've been, I've yeah. done renovations on my listings. <laughs> like I'm like, I have no, I'm going to cock over here and grab refresh over here, like plant some flowers. <laughs> yeah. Talk. Go ahead. It's interesting yeah. because you look at the um, a lot of what's going on in today's market. Like I do f- generally feel bad for a lot of buyers in today's marketplace, given where the rates are, given how like transactions are occurring. Yeah, it's almost like you have to fight every inch of the way to get transactions done because there's. I actually of find it. I found it a little easier on the buy side actually. Like with the clients nice. I've had so far, like a couple of the listing have been a bit more challenging for a few reasons, just because again yeah. the expectations have been very, very, very high. For the price and just the way that some of those sellers have communicated like on the buy side i've just found like they're dealing with their own circumstances in terms of qualifying but just in terms of being as clients they've been far easier yeah yeah because they're grateful to just get into a house because there's nothing available and the rates are like stupid high and it's like you have it's like you're always you're always massaging some one side of the transaction and then trying yeah. to be able to the biggest flaw that i find also in these transactions because a lot of the business we do are listing focused is that the other agent the caliber of the other agent that you're dealing with is always different. Oh, it's it makes never, a huge difference. Yeah. yeah. And then sometimes like we get paid a lot of money to be able to deliver bad news and to be able to share information like as raw as it is. Yeah. And that's the most frustrating part. I think agents think like if I just put this into the rug, it'll pass over. Right. And it won't be an issue, but then the deal dies. Yeah. We'll but, give an example. So I had one lady, we were supposed to be closing out and the agent that I'm dealing with, I thought she was the most competent agent out of all the offers that we got. And um, throughout the transaction, you know, uh, pushing it along, pushing it along. And I called her. We were supposed to be closing just this week. And I was like, hey, so what's going on? She's like, yeah, it's not a good day. I'm like, what's happening? She's just like, well, you know, they, um, they did a title search and there was a judgment that appeared for the buyer on title, like on the buyer's name. And I'm like, what kind of judgment? She's like, I'm not sure. I'm like, hmm, are we talking like a judgment that the deal's dead or a judgment like she forgot to pay like something in the past and it's like lingering over her? And she's like, mm, let me just double check. I think it's something to do with the DMV. But I'm not worried because the buyer said it was like something that happened 30 something years ago and it should not be really a big deal. And I'm like, okay, can you do me a favor? Can you go ahead and reach out to the title company, reach out to the lender and call your client to provide a lot more details because yeah. that could yeah. completely hinder the whole transaction. When did you find this information out? Did you just find it out right now? Yeah. And then she was just like, oh no, this happened like late last night. She called me and she was like panicking this that, and the other. I'm like, okay, great. Well, just understand that you're not giving us the information that we need. So how about you find out the information so we can figure out a solution? Because as of right yeah. now, you're just not really moving it along. You're just yeah. stopping it completely at where it is. Yeah. And um, I'm pretty sure she found this out maybe way more, way, way earlier on in this. Uh, she than, told you, yeah. Yeah, than she told me. Yeah. But that's the whole point of it, right? She, it's uncomfortable for her to say that or to share that, but she's just hoping it'll figure itself out. Because unfortunately, a lot of problems in real estate do tend to figure themselves out. Like, where's the lockbox in the property? People figure that out. Like, you know, all yeah. those little stupid things, people think that, oh, with time, it'll figure itself out. But stuff yeah. like that, you need to address and you need to confront them. Well, if it can compromise the deal, like, it's not just going to go away. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. dealing with those kinds of people in those like, nowadays has become very difficult as well. So I used to be similar to you, right? Where it's like, I love the numbers. I hated dealing with individual emotional, like, transactions. And I used to tell them, I'm like, I hate this. And then this was during COVID. And he was just like, well, dude, like if tenants aren't showing property, then the only people that will show property are people who are owner occupiers. Primary. Yeah. So he's like, so maybe you have to adapt to the market. I'm like, shit. Okay. Maybe you're right. So like I went from being like hundred percent tenant occupied properties to like, all right, let's find some people who live in property that want to make a move. And it was such a therapist massaging kind of lesson. Yeah which was a pain in the ass to go through, but it is necessary almost. You know, I think ultimately. it's all dealing with people. I think what surprised me most in these situations is like, I can understand where emotion plays into it, but as your hired professional, I would never dream of speaking to like my realtor or my lawyer or anyone like the way that a couple of these clients have spoken to me. And I'm just like, you know, I feel like I can't compromise like my patients and how my demeanor would be. Cause it's like, you know, that's right. still your reputation, but there's been times you're just like, Wow, like I just would never talk to someone that way. So it's just the, the problem is they 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 don't put you in the same pedestal as the attorneys and all those uh, sector as the attorney, right? Well, whatever like, it may be, right? I just think, in spite of any right? emotions, like you know, I just was surprised in a couple of those circumstances. But yeah, yeah, like I said, I think it just comes down to pre-qualifying your clients in a certain way. But if I could choose the clients, like <laughs> I'm looking at even possibly taking a course on land development, so I can identify those opportunities that I can then sell through to investors. So I'm like, I can focus and niche down in that way, so I'm not yeah. maybe dealing with like those situations. <laughs> so much emotion. Yeah. 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 
as crazy as it is, it's like, I never thought I'd be training people. Like there's in transactions, there's times where like a seller will call at night, like let's say it's eight o'clock and then I'll be perfectly available to take their call. But in my mind, I'm like, if I do this now, they'll think it's okay to call me whenever they my want. My clients call me at like nine or 10. No, thank you. And my girl, my best friend is actually a realtor. She's like, you told them like you're sleeping then, right? Because I go to bed like super early. So I had one client, she'd consistently call me 10 30 and miss it. And then I'd be like emailing her back at five in the morning. So we're just on opposite schedules. And I knew I couldn't get a hold of her until two in the afternoon. So we were just on like widely different schedules. Yeah. But if you were a doctor and she needed, uh, you know, some medical advice from you, she would find a time to get on your schedule. Yeah. Of course. So, so yeah. And I don't leave my phone on because it would just go off all night long. Right. Yeah. So obviously like that's my window. You just have to tell them up front, like I'm early to bed, early to rise. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I just find it interesting that they'll be like, you know, they'll never try to reach their attorney after six o'clock. They're like, he's not in the office, but they can call us. Yeah. Until I don't know. People just, or, and I can understand because it's their schedule, like when they have the time, sure. but some people I think are respectful of that and other times they just don't care. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like when the husband and the wife are on the couch watching TV and they're like, hey, when are we supposed to close again? They're like, wait, you didn't know that? Let's call Let them and find out right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's crazy because my coach was always just like, after six o'clock, you just don't answer anything from there because then you're training them that you're not working after that because there's nothing yeah. that can move the, the needle forward or back, right? Um, if it's a client that you're trying to acquire, yes, answer at any point in time because you need to get them into the funnel. Yeah. But if it's something that's like pending, that's going to figure itself out yeah. or there's an appropriate time to do so, you can train them by not responding because now they're yeah. going to get addicted to it and now they're going to think yeah. it's okay to harass you I'm, anytime. I guess the way you could handle it too is if you respond like, hey, I got your message. Um, can we talk tomorrow at whatever time? So it doesn't maybe, you're not ignoring it, but you're not going to like dive into it at that point in time. The ignoring part for me. And I would ignore working. it. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. So if, no, if I, and, and it's not like a customer service thing. It's just that they're like, oh, wow, you I can't. I think the funniest thing about this business is agents who are like, I'm available 24 7. Yeah. Why? You no. But you have, you have, have to have a cutoff. You have to have a cutoff, and it doesn't need to be 10 o'clock at night. I'd say, you know, anything after 7 o'clock for me, I'm just, uh, you yeah. know, I'll get back to you the next day. Because there's nothing so important that has to be taken care of that night. Yeah, I mean, unless is, it's like an offer and there's like a multiple, like an offer presentation, like in that right, instance. But right. well, that's if it's thing. just I'm just talking about options. an existing seller who's like, you know, uh, uh, wants to know what time the inspection is next week, then we'll get back to you in the morning. Yeah. 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 But it's just, it's training your clients that, that, you know, I keep a schedule. I'm a professional, just like the doctor, the lawyer. Yeah. You know, I don't do things at the drop of a hat. We keep a schedule. I'll be in the office tomorrow morning. We'll be, get back to you and, and, and do, do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So let's segue over to this. So, I, you know, you're coming from the business background for having the events and doing all those things in there. What are you planning on doing in your real estate business now to make it take off and to be able to build it from there? Yeah, I mean, the way that I'm kind of looking at the real estate business, honestly, is anything that I make, I would just buy more properties with. Like I'm looking to acquire and maybe be an equity partner on some multifamily properties. So, you know, because I do a lot of private lending, I actually have a pretty comfortable income from that. I make a lot more than I probably 30 or 40% more than I actually need every year. Nice. So I'm not dependent on what I make as a realtor to, to live. So again, I think I'm looking at that more in terms of like building my portfolio in the long-term wealth. So there are a lot of people I know that, you know, they're burning the, these multifamily properties, taking out big amounts of money on the refi tax free. So if I can, you know, divide up what I have into multiple projects like that, so that, you know, I'm building that long-term wealth and legacy for my family. That would be my focus. Then yeah. anything I'm making as a realtor just goes into supporting that kind of stuff. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the private lending you're doing. How does that work? Who do you, yeah. your um, so when I started doing it, it was probably about five years ago. Um, I had been getting into some different kinds of real estate investing and a girlfriend of mine had said, you know, I got to talk to my mortgage broker. He's a close family friend. And I do a lot of private lending with him and um, I make more doing that than I do with my business being a hair salon. So um, she introduced me to him and I thought, okay, I'll start slowly, like took a hundred thousand from my HELOC to put into a few deals and why people need that money can vary. Sometimes they could be a business owner or maybe they have to pay off their line of credit before a mortgage closes. So, you know, in most cases they're like principal and interest kind of loans. Sometimes it could be bridge loans. So my first deal is 45,000 at 20% interest. So every payment was a portion of the principal and the 20% interest over a two year term. Another one was 25,000. I think I did one for 10. So I just kind of started with that and then worked with him exclusively for the first few years. And then last year I was like, you know, I have- That was all for the same investor? That was all from the same broker. And then last year I, 
you know, I wanted to diversify and do more because I had a lot more access on my home equity line. So I reached out to the real estate investing community I'm part of. We've got a private Facebook group with about 3,000 of us. So I reached out there and this one woman's like, I've sold all my rental properties. All I do is private lending now. Like these are all the people I work with. And we set up a call just to talk about all those different things. So she gave me her list and I just set up calls with all of them to see what they were doing. So in some instances, they're land developers. So I had a call with their capital raiser, the project manager and their realtor. So they're building a subdivision in Victoria, BC for about 150 homes. So their capital raise was like 15 million, but when it's done, it's going to be worth like 126 million. It's like kind of crazy. Um, So I invested in a couple of their projects. Um, My investing coach, I invested in some of her projects. She's doing some big conversions right now. Um, And then it just expanded from there. Like there's other people, like I said, burning multifamily properties, building apartment buildings. Uh, I hooked up with another mortgage broker. So there's a lot of investors that they work with that are renovating like single family homes and stuff like that. So I just diversified. And then last year, I think I did, I went from doing like three to five a year to last year I did about 26. Wow. Um, and I just signed off on like my 59th deal. Nice. So I just kind of keep things moving. And, you know, for the most part, most of the deals I have are in the range of like 17 to 18% now. Some that I started last year, like I have one that's 12. So as soon as I can get out of that, I'll roll it into something that's higher because I have access to those opportunities now. And then obviously I pay my line of credit fee, but the rest is obviously profit. Yeah. And the line of credit probably is only at six or 7%, right? Yeah. 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 So it was three, obviously now it's higher. (laughs) So, but that's the other thing. So I just keep it, keep it rolling all the time. So yeah. So I just try to insulate my risk by doing a lot. So I do like smaller amounts with as many people as I can. So it might be just a guy who's renovating a two or three family that needs an extra 40 grand or something to finish the project. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. So that could be like one instance or it could be as big as like we're building a subdivision or like a 200 unit apartment building. So yes, they do have their construction financing, but a lot of these investors will raise private money for the down payment. So they use other people's yep. money in that sense. Yeah. Um, like I That's said, a and it's a, a lot of banks yeah. don't like investors, right? So private lending is an easier way for them to get money quickly. So just, you know, there's different reasons why the banks aren't as easy to work with or for land development, they want to pre-buy materials. So if you are in a construction loan, you have all these releases along the way. So you can't necessarily do that so they'll use private money to be able to do that so they don't have delays and like labor shortages or supply shortages and stuff like that yeah yeah so in the example i gave you on the two or three family you lend somebody let's say forty thousand dollars are you filing a lien like how are you how are you certain so, that you're, you get repaid? not necessarily so a lot of them are unsecured private lens but almost all of them have the property listed in the agreement so if push came to shove like there's still like a tangible asset associated with it yeah. i am aware of an investor that she loaned i think a hundred thousand her investing coach actually. And even though there's plenty of equity in the property, it ended up getting repossessed by the bank. And the issue that she experienced is that the bank ended up charging like an extra two or $300,000 in fees because they had to foreclose on the property sure. and she didn't get their money out. She got wiped, yeah. And because this investor had a lot of properties in like different corporations, she was literally just unable to recover what he was doing. And I think he was also investing a lot like all over the state. So it was just complicated. So yeah. Like I said, I do work with a lot of trusted referrals, but the way that I look at it, like I would rather loan 50,000 to like 20 different companies and people like then put 300,000 into like one company. Right. Yeah, so I just sure. try to insulate my risk because the chance of them all defaulting is like unlikely. Right. So yeah. the only issue I've really had was on a syndicated mortgage that's gone. That's really been like significantly delayed, like on an 18 month term, we're sitting at five years now Wow. and they've asked for two more years. So they're still paying their interest, but it's just like this indeterminate <laughs> date. So I think for me, like I, I paid off what I invested with them a long time ago, but for someone that maybe that's all they did, like that could be a challenge for them if they needed the money back when they yeah. thought they were getting it back. Well, that's why it makes sense with like new developments because you're technically lending the money, but you're buying the inventory or you're buying the material that they're, they're using the, the, mm-hmm. the, like the lumber or whatever the case it is. So mm-hmm. they're basically paying it off for that. So you can go after them for a little bit of like just inventory versus actually trying to tie up a property because you'd be like the second lien and you can get wiped out still by either Uncle Sam yeah. or, or the loan, the primary loan. Are you planning on growing that out more? How is that like, are you going to leave that where it yeah, is? I mean, it's just, I don't say like it's easy money, but I, I'm yeah. surrounded by all these very active real estate investors. So it's like, there's far more deals than I can ever do myself. Yeah. Like any, on any given week, like I could see like 10 opportunities that flow through and even more than that within like the, the group that I'm part of. So I think it just, again, I use my home equity line of credit. I 
pays for my life and then some. So it wouldn't make sense not to do it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but, you know, I would like to diversify because the private lending is great for cash flow, but there's no equity, right? So at the end of a term, like you just get your principal back. Yeah. So ideally what I have in my business, like I want that in equity, not necessarily, like I don't necessarily even need the cash flow, but I want that in a long-term asset that will grow and, and, you know, be worth more 10 years from now. So I'm just trying to diversify in that sense. Yeah. There's a couple of uh, different guys that uh, we know, uh, one of them specifically, he just closed on like a hundred and something units in Chicago. Yeah. And it's insane how, like, as long as you're able to structure a deal together, there's nothing that's black and white and you can literally inject it the terms that you want and in yeah. any way he found an investor to front the down payment for an eight million dollar building and then he put down the down payment he, he has a buddy of his that lives in chicago that's going to take care of the property so now the investor is getting 50 percent equity of the deal him and his other buddy are getting 25 each and they have zero money into the property once it gets stabilized yeah. they're gonna have yeah. two hundred fifty thousand in net income coming to the four of them or to the three of them so he's basically yeah, i know like, a lot of people that have done that like they've literally built up you know, portfolios with like over a thousand doors and none of their own money. Like they use other people's money for the down payments and in some cases do vendor take backs or seller financing and stuff like that. So there's all these different unique strategies that you can take advantage of. So it's yep. weird because I've been on the flip side where I've been the lender, but I haven't been the borrower to like use other yeah. people's money. And the way that I'm looking at it now is because I'm in a mastermind with a lot of active investors that do this. I'm like, why would I struggle and suffer through this on my own? Like there's people that know how to do this, know how to do it properly. Yeah. Like I can come on board as a money partner with them so they can do it successfully. I can get a cap capital return, you know, get all my money back in a year or two, get money back cash tax free on the refi. And then I can build up my portfolio through them. Right. So yeah. it just saves me the time trying to figure it out on my own. And then obviously you're losing, not losing, but you're, you know, you're sharing in that equity 50%, right? But they're yep. taking all that off your shoulders. Yeah. So you know the finance part of it, but not the acquire and then stabilize part. Is that what you're well, saying? Well, I know like what they're doing. Yeah. I haven't done it myself. You yeah. know what I mean? So I just don't see myself like maybe down the road. Like I don't have the time to necessarily take on something like that on my own now. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of people very successfully doing that. Like in the East Coast, for example, like almost everyone I know that's buying up these properties in Moncton, for example, like they might buy a sixplex for 250,000, spend a hundred thousand renovating, and then it'll be worth 800,000 on the refi. So yeah. they take out 400,000, pay back their investor. And then they, you know, oh, on a refi exactly. that's tax-free profit basically. And then your tenants will pay off that mortgage in the long term, Right. Yeah. Yep. So if I found hypothetically a hundred unit building in Chicago, how would, how would you structure the deal to close on it? Well, I, what I find a lot of people in the States that I'm hearing from, so I've gotten to meet Vina Jetty who owns Buy Funds. Um, mm -hmm. She's actually connected to Pace Morby that you mentioned and Cody Sperber. So she's got like 900 million under, under her management. Cody's coming on and in a she's weeks. used, what's that? Cody's going to be on in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So Vina's kind of connected with all of them. So she's got about 900 million. So she does all syndicated mortgages with them. So she'll pull together groups of investors or all shareholders on the property properties and stuff like that. And then she'll kind of force appreciation by renovating them and typically sell them in three to five years, pay out the investors and, you know, keep on duplicating that. So yeah. she's an example of someone in the States that I met that has been very, very successful doing that. But um, nice. even Mark Ferris, who's from Barrie, he's now doing that in Florida because just the value of the real estate is still relatively lower down there, but the rents are still very, very high. Yeah. So again, you've got to be accredited in most instances for that kind of stuff. But I think the, um, the syndication seem to be most popular down there where here it could be more of like a joint venture sure. arrangement or it could be like a GPLP arrangement. So there's mm -hmm. different legal structures depending on, I guess, what the investor wants to to put together, maybe what their lawyer advises them to do. Yeah. There's, there's a, a completely other side of this business that we have just been unlocked to within the past couple of years that we were like, we, if we were in this side of the business a long time ago, yeah. this would have been pretty gnarly. What could have been built? Well, I think uh, it's, we had our blinders on for so long that was like listings, 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 right? Don't work with buyers, yeah. only focus on sellers. How do I find more sellers and how do I list 20 homes a month? But the and, problem with that is like, once you work with them, there's no long-term value to it, right? So the value of investing is like having this long-term residual income that you're going to create for yourself. Well, I think yeah. there's, there's a lot of problems with it. It's like in our market, we would sell somebody's home and they'd move Florida or somewhere they, else. They, they a lot of times would move so far out of the area that they're not like in your data. They're not a repeat client. So it's hard yeah. to like mm -hmm. keep them as a repeat client. 
that's one thing. The other thing, the other problem with that though is if you're not taking the money that you're making and instead of improving your lifestyle and, you know, buying a Porsche, you're just spending it. Yeah. You're spending it and you, and you become comfortable with that lifestyle instead of that. Like, I mean, what I wish I did differently was instead of, buying a, living down instead of buying a big house and a beach house and a, and, uh, some, some cars and stuff over the years. Live your best life. I, I, <laughs> I wish I bought, I bought yeah. rental properties, but not enough of them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, my my regret, honestly, is that multifamily was not on my radar. And what I've learned now is that it's far easier to qualify for something commercial. So six doors and higher than it is for anything lower than that. So I wish, you know, my first investment property was a short-term rental in Florida and I bought it when the dollar was at par. So it, Mm. it made sense then. But had I put that into a multifamily property, like if I had known what I know now, like I probably still own that. I probably would have refinanced it three times to buy other properties at this point in time. Yeah. So I, it just wasn't on my radar at that point in time, but it's, it's definitely, you know, even a mentor was talking about recently, he's like, just there's too many leaks with a single family home or a smaller property in the sense that there's a mortgage and there's utilities and there's taxes. So if you lose a tenant or if you're vacant, how, how do you pay for all of that? Where if you have a multifamily and you've got 10 tenants, well, if one moves out, it's not going to like affect your day is the way that it would in the sense right. of like all of that. Yeah. Um, and obviously like in Ontario, the LTB is like not landlord friendly at all. So I was always nervous to invest here, but now I'm like, well, why wouldn't I have considered like the East coast or the prairies or these different places where you can, it is very landlord friendly. You can get someone out in a week if they're not paying their rent. And then yeah. you can have like good cash flow because I'm kind of priced out of the market here. Like cap rates are very low. Yeah. The, the one thing I'll I never forget. too smart to be a realtor. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the one thing I'll, I'll do, do the real realtor thing is like a hobby. Well, yeah, I mean, I have friends and family that want to I still buy. need to do can help them. something with my time. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll take on a couple clients here and there. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing I'll never forget is um, I, when I was prospecting with those blinders on and I had the balls to ask one of the biggest investors in our area. And I was just like, hey, like, you know, I've been calling you a bunch of times by accident. You know, if you're ever in the area, I'd love to take you out. <clears throat> we went to this kosher restaurant. And when we were eating, he was just interrogating me the whole time. Like, who do I know in the city, in this area? Because he was struggling with this issue, this and the other. Couldn't ask any questions. At the end of the dinner, and as I was like, we were packing up and everything, I was just like, hey, by the way, like if you, knowing what you know now, when you would have started, what would you have done differently? He was like, whether it was a six unit building or a hundred million dollar portfolio, the process and the pains are exactly the same. That's the a lot of people said they're like, I would go it. bigger because it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. So well, whether you own a 30 unit building, or a three unit building, you're yeah. always going to have that one tenant that's a pain in the ass that's calling you every day. Yeah. You're always going to have the, the little old lady that pays on time that doesn't bother you and you're wondering if yeah. she's still okay in there. And then you're going to have everybody else who falls in between. But on a 30 unit building and a three unit building, you have one roof, right? Mm-hmm. One set of gutters, snow removal, landscaping, yeah. right? And and if you, know, yeah. you have a couple vacant apartments or you're, you're, you're rehabbing the units as they turn over, you're still getting cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lunch meeting actually with a real estate investor I met recently and he, I think he has 27 apartment buildings. Nice. <laughs> That's yeah. what he was also talking about. Cause he goes, you know, even from an investment strategy, like, yeah, it's less work because to duplicate that, if it was like, you know, 27 buildings times a hundred units each own 2,700 single family homes, like yeah. it'd be very, Painful. very challenging. So he was yeah. talking about some of those experiences, but he was saying a lot of the owners of these buildings now are getting older. So from an investment standpoint, he's like, don't, wait for something to come out, just start calling up the building owner, like find the building owners and be like, Hey, do you want to, do you still want to do this? And there could be opportunities to like take them over, do seller financing and stuff like that. So those those older owners would be more more apt to do seller financing, right? A young astute, like uh, owner right now. Like if if the guy who owns the building is 35 years old, 40 years old, he's probably not going to be open (laughs) to seller financing. Right. Yeah. So it's just interesting. Like his perspective as someone that's been doing this since like the early eighties kind of thing. Right. Yeah. As I go through with it, like in real estate, I understood from the beginning, it's never about the money. It's always about the deal. But when you want to actually like scale out big, it's all about how you raise money to get like certain big deals. Cause there's not many players that compete for those deals. anyway. And it's, it's interesting because like right now, I'm like, all right, well, if I was to find a property and it's the deal, not the money, now I'm like, how the hell do I raise, you know, a $4 million down payment for, you know, this property or whatever the case it is. It's you like, go to Serena. well, but like learning these things is like, so like important because then how would you structure it moving forward? 
how do you get your foot in there? How do you build equity without having to put anything down, right? Maybe you have to take yeah. a bite off of it in the beginning. So but- learning, like I haven't fundraised myself, but there's one particular company I've supported a little bit recently. And what I love about their approach is like, you know, they're very, very buttoned down when it comes to securities. So like with their securities lawyer, now they've hired an exempt market dealer to make sure like everything's totally like buttoned down. But what I liked about it is that she's like, I would rather over like under promise over deliver. So she's offered on one particular deal, like 22 to 26%. She's like, it could be probably closer to 40, but I'm putting it at that conservatively because she's like, I just want to make as many people as wealthy as I can. And if I can over deliver on all of my deals, like all of those investors are going to come back and bring everyone that they know, exactly. you know, and it was just such a great approach to it. And she hasn't capped her limited partners to just say it's this fixed amount with the way like you know, a lot of investors could be greedy in the sense of like, well, I'll give you 15. And even if my profit's like 300% or something, like they would keep that where yeah. she's not structuring it that way. So she's been very, very generous in a way that I would say I don't, I haven't seen from a lot of investors, but it was such a smart strategy. Cause of course, if you can say to someone, well, you'll get 22 to 26%, then it closes, they get 40%. Yeah. Of course, they're going to bring every person that they know, right? So she's yeah. been very, very smart, I think, about that. And it's just because she wants to scale and grow very, very big, right? And she's given herself three years. It'll probably be two. So if you pay them out more and in less time, like everyone's going to be very, very happy, right? So I think yeah. it all comes down to that customer service and like how you're communicating and building that trust. Like she's just such a genuine person. Like I think everyone I've kind of sent her away is just... Rave. been so happy and just by making a couple of introductions i think i i raised about a million dollars for their last deal just by being like not that i personally raised it but i just made the introductions and sure. i knew that she is offering something amazing and everybody went ahead with her yeah and then now when she does the next capital call there are friends it's going to multiply and it's going to grow and grow and mm-hmm. grow yeah. yeah awesome that's great well serena thank you so much for spending some time with us today yeah, thanks we really for appreciate it I know we we dove into a bunch of different topics, but uh, I think <laughs> yeah. uh, it came together nicely. And I know I personally want to join this mastermind. So yeah, I was yeah, I was gonna be like, few. hey, give us like these share these resources. These are pretty <laughs> we'll cool. Talk about that offline. But <laughs> sounds um, good. If anybody wants to reach out to you, send you a referral, um, or just collaborate with you in any fashion, what's the best way for them to reach reach you? Yeah. Yeah, so I have um, my Instagram profiles under Serena Holmes Realtor. And I know we kind of briefly talked about it offline, but I'm also in the process of launching a podcast called Inspired to Invest. So that's going to kick off on June the 7th. And as we talked about investing, I just want to you know show people that it doesn't take anything extraordinary to kind of take charge of your financial future and just bridge the gap to show them like these ordinary people doing these really extraordinary things so that people can feel confident and inspired to do that for themselves. Beautiful. That's exciting. What's the handle going to be? Did you already? Uh, it'll be Inspired to Invest podcast. Okay, got it. This is going to be perfect. So when this launches, you're accountable to have your first episode out. <laughs> Sweet. We're going to hold you to it. Awesome. All, All right, right Serena, thank you so much. Thank you.